Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership Solutions. This morning, we are interviewing uh, the new interim mayor of Springfield, Oregon, Sean Van Gordon. Sean has been on the city council in Ward 1 for several years now. He's also run for state representative. Uh, he has been in our city since his collegiate days, him and his wife since their collegiate days at the University of Oregon. And they have been faithfully serving. He has also been faithfully serving as elected uh, representative. They have two beautiful twin girls. And he is a representative of our city, of the constituents of our city. And we just want to take a moment to thank him for his willingness and availability to, to speak with us, to speak to us uh, as his constituents. Uh, good morning, Mayor Van Gordon. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm good. It's a, it's a good day today. I'm trying to get these questions over to the screen to my left. Let me see here. Good. That will give me a chance to stall and make sure my phone's on mute. So it's like. <laughs> Very good. So you are our newly appointed mayor of Springfield, Oregon. You replaced Mayor Christine Lundberg, who had to resign last summer, who chose to resign last summer uh, for some family reasons. We've been without a mayor for six months, eight months? Uh, since August. Since August. And so it's good to see that we have uh, a mayor at the helm now for our city, uh, the ceremonial head, the leader of our city council, and the one that casts vision for our city as a whole, for the city administration and our city staff. Uh, first and foremost, in interest of full disclosure, we have sent Mayor Van Gordon some questions over. And what are some of the interests, speak to the constituents who don't know you, haven't had a chance to meet you yet. What were some of your interests in wanting to be appointed interim mayor of Springfield? Oh, I, I think that's a really good question. Um, I've, like, I've always been in love with this community. There's just something about it that makes it special in people's eyes, whether or not you were born here or sort of called here. You sort of walk, you know, people just sort of smile and shake their head and go, there's something secretly special about what, what we do over here. Um, an opportunity to serve the community is really, really what was driving me uh, to put my application in in at that time. Um, I've been doing this for a little while and, you know, given given that where we were and what kind of uh, challenges that we faced over the next 18 months, right? I wanted to participate and make, make sure I was part of the conversation. Now, for those who uh, have not, do not know, last year we did an extensive interview with Mayor Van Gordon when he was still the Ward 1 City Councilor. We have his educational bio and much of his background on that interview. I want to use this time to hear from his heart, to hear about his vision and his in the new role as Mayor of our city. Now, Mayor Lundberg was a very successful mayor, working together with the City Council, very successful, got a lot accomplished, and we're on a great trajectory prior to the pandemic and the economy having to shut down. What are some of the stated plans for Mayor Lundberg's agenda that you would like to see continued? Well, I, I think one of the ways to think about cities is really they're sort of growing in living and breathing things, right? So as a, as a council and as elected officials, we really are building off the work that the previous groups have done. And Springfield has been on an upward trajectory really for you know, probably 30 years now. Um, you know, I think you've got a unique set of challenges with the 2020 brought, but there's stuff we want to keep, right? Like the broad-based sort of economic support and growth that we saw across the city is what, you know, is something that I want to maintain a focus on, you know, um, 
making maintaining uh, a focus on you know in you know indoor sports and event center sometimes it's called the indoor track and finding a good spot for that to be you know find its place to grow into an idea and be part of the community is something that christine really focused on and i think that's important you know in our long-term economic economic future and you know surprisingly um and it didn't give them a lot of play at the time was a focus on workforce and apprenticeship right so you that you know by the time you match up housing and apprenticeship and economic opportunity you really create a city that has a distinct story to draw people to create their future here saying you can find housing you can find a job you can find economic growth here that we want you part of this community so that's really the the jumping off point of where long term we're on the right direction that we want to build towards is creating opportunity for everybody to be here and raise your family here now, one of the things Mayor Lindbergh had anticipated anticipated instituting, which you had mentioned in our previous interview that you uh, appreciated, was the Blue Ribbon Panel or the Blue Ribbon Commission on our interaction with our law enforcement, with our community. What are your thoughts on that program still? Yeah, so um, I, I'm kind of at the stage where um, I've got to get all the work product that they have um, and, you know, kind of go through it. Um, I think the basic idea of it is something we want to do and we have to do it in a post-COVID world. Um, everything where I talked to Christine and what she's talked about, you know, her conversation with experts, it was very clear that you need people in a room together to sort of figure it out. And it's coming from the premise of, you know, that like, like renewing our social contract with each other and saying that, you know, we're all different people. We come from different experiences and we have to figure out how to live successfully in the city together and how do we do that. Um, so there's a lot of talk around this, a lot of energy around it, um, where I would just sort of caution people is it really is not going to get any legs on it until we get a little bit further away from the pandemic, because we really need people to be able to get in the same room together. And until we can do that, it's kind of on pause, but we definitely want to do it. I think it's important, and I appreciate you saying that, Mayor Van Gordon, it's important that we remember that everything is a process. And in order for some endeavors such as this, which is a noteworthy endeavor, I agree with you that there are some variables and elements that need, that should be in place, like being able to meet together in the same room, uh, because I think we're all suffering from Zoom fatigue. I, I know I am, and it's hard to read messages, read one another's body language, communicate more effectively when it's everything's over social media. So let's talk about um, some of your objectives or agenda items that you see as critical moving forward. Yeah, so I I think you've got a, a immediate focus on the short term, and then you know some of the long term items that I would like would like to bring on the table, bring to the table. Like short term really is you know a response to 2020, right? We you know we talked about it last night at City Council. We really have to get a new replacement for Ward One. Um, and then, you know, we've got to get whoever that new person is sworn in in office. And then we've got to go through and sort of select all the, you know, the, the committee jobs, right? Again, right. It's, it's sort of process driven, but until we have a whole, a complete body from an elected official perspective, um, then, and have everybody going to all the meetings that they're supposed to do and find our grounding, grounding as a new counselor that has got several new counselors on it, then that, that, that's got to be done to really begin to move the dial forward with the rest of the community. 
Um, and then right after that, we're really going to have the budget sneak up right on top of us, right? So there's some immediate things that we have to kind of get through to really get our arms around this. And then, of course, it's the question of how do we, you know, how do we move forward in the community from, you know, from a business recovery, you know, health perspective, because that's still a very dynamic environment um, to make sure that we're, as we're going into the summer, as we get more vaccines, right, that we kind of really get to a point where we're opening the community back up again in a, you know, in a healthy way, if you will. So that's kind of short term, my immediate needs that are sort of thinking on there. There's about eight of them I could list off, you know, right off the top of my list. Long term, really, it's about getting the long term footwork, right? So everybody talks about, you know, how good downtown Springfield was, right? You know, in that recovery. Well, that really took a lot of thinking and a lot of vision to get us that far. Um, you know, we built three hotels in Glenwood in the last you know, a couple of years, right? So there's progress being started to be being made. So really long-term it's about setting the foundational elements for addressing housing. So you can live over here affordably, um, addressing economic opportunity. And then, you know, there's the, the library is also something that's near to my heart. We talked about wanting to get into a, a new building for a long time. And I really think the solution is, um, you know, a, a hybrid approach that combines early learning with a new library building because right now, kids that have to go to Head Start don't have space in Springfield. Some of them go to Eugene. That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So you said for your short term, some of your short term immediate focus is the obviously the need, the needed responses to 2020, mm -hmm. new replacement for Ward One. You have to assign the counselors or committees. You need your replacement for Ward One because you have to have a complete body to govern. Then once everyone is going to their meetings and going to their assignments and getting integrated into the process and the, the body can begin to stabilize. And then of course, uh, the budget issues that will be forthcoming. You talked about moving into the summer, there's concerns about getting the vaccines distributed so we can begin to recover uh, together, meeting together. Long-term, you have the issues of all the vibrancy of downtown, don't wanna lose that. Uh, you want to set the foundation. We built three hotels in Glenwood, right? I want to say maybe over six years, um, but I don't feel like that's the right. That's that I don't might not have that number dialed. But like, there's three brand new hotels down there. Okay, that that's important. Uh, and then of course the the setting the foundation for good housing for people to be able to live here. But I appreciate what you said. Above and beyond the hotels is. The library may be a hybrid system with an early warning, I mean, early warning, early learning uh, capacity for the children of the city. Because I agree with you, I, our library has become the hub of cultural center, cultural activity, and anyone and everyone in the city who lives here can come use the internet, come sign out books, come sign out DVDs, whatever the case is. And it's been such a, it's become such a special place. I remember when I got out of the Army in 95, 96, the library was not what it is today. And it is a completely different community asset and community resource that has just become rich and deep in community expression. So that makes me very, very happy to hear our new mayor say that is a priority. So thank you for that. Now, real quick regarding potentially an indoor track, what about the in the hotel tax? How much does hotel tax support our budget as a city? 
and without with when with the pandemic how has it hurt us not being able to to utilize uh the resources that we have as far as our hotels fully yeah so most of the money from a hotel tax goes into um a sort of what's called a transit room fund tax uh, fund so it's used specifically for economic like specifically for economic development there's a few more rules that I just don't have off the top of my head, but that's a really good way to think about it is the city's really got a ton of different funds. So some money that we have where you go, why, hey guys, why are you using it here? Can't be moved you know, other places because just the com complexity of uh, municipal finance. Um, so obviously it, it, has, it, it has taken a dip, but that money really is used for things that drive heads and beds and events and tourism you know, back back into the tourism industry. So like some of that money goes into places like, um, like the museum gets supported by some of that money or, you know, some of that money, you know, go, goes into, you know, funding the downtown programming, um, you know, the, the things that really draw sort of the cultural piece of the community and draw people to like, draw people to this community. Sometimes you'll see it in those big murals. If you really look like look at where the funding source is, some of the money goes into that or big track events. Um, some it funds travel Lane County. So it just funds a lot of like the tourism industry in Lane County is really big. So the taxes associated with the hotel rooms are a big funder of all the infrastructure that goes around supporting that, that industry. Well, I asked you that question because I want the listeners and your constituents to hear that it, there, there are complexities and there is a distribution uh, protocol and it's not as it's not easy to say well we have fifty thousand dollars here we're just going to move it over here it, it doesn't work that way and so i just kind of wanted to remind those that hear this the, the constituents of springfield to remember that there are processes we need that revenue that revenue is down because of covid so there's going to be some decisions that are going to have to be made moving forward regarding the budget. Now, what ideas do you have, Mayor, to communicate with the constituents of Springfield? Obviously, thank you for being on uh, Molina Leadership Solutions, this interview and pending podcast. I know you've been on Spent the Rent podcast. We thank you for that. What other ideas do you have to get out your message? So right, you know, right now, I'm sort of taking, you know, I've got uh, public events or, you know, I guess Zoom events booked out through with different groups from, you know, uh, February, probably into April. Um, so I'm pretty much taking an invite from anybody who wants to meet with me and come out and talk, like talk in small groups, talk in big groups, talk to their clubs. So um, it may be a little bit weird from a scheduling perspective, but I will find time and I will come talk to you. Um, I'm also, you know, um, pretty active on social media. I do get questions that come off of Facebook Messenger or a comment every once in a while that I try to get back to. And, you know, in the in the world of, you know, where you can just traditionally email me, you know, I get plenty of those, um, uh, you know, over over the day. Um, that's kind of what, what I'm doing in the COVID world. Um, I would love to get out there, you know, like, like we all would, you know, in a post-COVID world a little bit more. But Pretty much I'm going to anybody that wants to talk about different issues and, you know, answering their questions and, you know, just communicating about where where we're going as a city. And then the other thing that we've got coming up is next week. I filmed it yesterday, but next week the State of the City address will drop on Wednesday the 17th. It will be on the um, uh, city's social media accounts. Um, and then it's a complete sort of message about 
where we are, what we're looking forward to in 2021, and the list of accomplishments that we have. So for those that are listening, I just want to repeat that uh, Mayor Van Gordon has made a commitment to all of us as his constituents. If you want to talk to him, contact his office. He'll meet with you on Zoom. We are in COVID, so that's not going to change. So he'll meet with you via Zoom. He'll answer your questions. He'll do his best to respond to your need. He's booked out basically until April. And next Wednesday, the city has the State of the City address, so we can look forward to hearing from you then. Now, what is your policy? Do you have a policy, not just in COVID, but maybe post-COVID too, regarding open door hours, so to speak? I'm thinking of military open door hours to, to respond to constituents that want to speak with you. Um, I, I've been really thinking about this since probably the, like we got back in the fall of last year. Um, you know, and I, I know we're going through a cycle of having a higher level of civic engagement, which is good. Um, but, you know, it happens in a formal structure and a formal, you know, you know, kind of a formal meeting, which, you know, is sort of, you know, hard to an answer all of the questions at the time because it's a business meeting and then you have, you know, public comment that happens on top of it. So you try to help people, but you don't have that room for that back and forth conversation that really builds build understanding. So I don't have the right answer. I thought about doing like, a, you know, a thing on Monday and just opening a Zoom link and see who comes. Um, I thought about doing an after, you know, council on Monday and let people go, okay, I saw this, what's really happening? What's the Q, like Q&A with it? Um, so the short answer is I don't have a good answer right now, but I am sort of thinking about how do you, how do you find that um, organic, organic touch, touch with people. Um, and I think that's really important to just, again, Right, some things you see that with additional context at, at council make up, you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Some things you kind of go, oh, I would love to ask a follow-up question about that. And it's just, it's a top of mind thing. Um, if it was if it was pre-COVID, I would love to do, like just go down there and you know open the door and say, if you want to wander in and say hi, feel free to. Um, but you know, we got to wait a little while longer on that. Well, I appreciate that. And the availability of our elected officials, it's really important. And we need to know that we can reach out to them and get a response. So that that uh, encourages my heart to hear you say that as well. So an important thing that I hear about public comment all the time or feedback all the time or emails is like, well, if you email an elected official and they do they read it? And the answer is yes. Sometimes it's not 100% intuitive, like, you know, where people you're getting back because there's more, depending on how you write that email, it depends on how you get a response back. So when people say, hey, here's facts and here's my opinion, right? Like maybe there, there might not be an opening to go, okay, here's kind of what I think back. When people ask questions, right, they tend to get some, some things back. So just be aware, it's 2021, people read your email. Um, that's a reasonable expectation for us. I read all the email I get. Um, every uh, counselor or elected official I know reads the public comment that drops into their email. That's an important comment. That's an important uh, distinction. Thank you for sharing that, that if people want to engage you or any of our, our other elected officials, then presenting an email with maybe a, some a question format, seeking answers or seeking to understand something as opposed to just stating an opinion or conflict 
might be a better way to get some engagement because I know you guys get hundreds of emails every day. So uh, that that's that's something that we as the constituents of the city have to remember too, is that everyone has access to those emails on the website. So uh, depending on the subject matter, you could get thousands in a day. Yeah, yeah. It depends on what's going on in the time. But I would just encourage people keep writing. People people are reading it. Very good. So you hear that out there, constituents of Springfield, you heard your new mayor. He said, keep writing those emails. They are reading them and that your comments are important to them. All right, our next question. What are some of the areas of concern that you may you think may need immediate attention as, as our new mayor? So um, I break these into the category of response to 2020, right? We've got to keep the emergency operations, you know, mentality as we deal with COVID. You know, there's still reactions to the holiday farm fire that are going on because it, you know, happened essentially right next door in the community up, up river, right? So there's still some support and work that we've got to do around there. Um, you know, policing is obviously top of mind when it comes on that to economic development is top of mind, you know, housing is top of mind as far as you know, responses to 2020 as we as we kind of move as we kind of move forward from there, and then you know, more long range things where it's sort of like, hey, don't lose these conversations. You know, like what we what we're doing with the development code, right? That was an investment the council made at the time, long term, to try to make sure that it's easier to build housing in Springfield, right? So when we're reacting to the things in 2020. We, we can't lose focus on the things that we want that we want to do to move the community forward. Getting our home funds, you know, out the door and into the community and shovels in the ground is sort of critical to, to making that to making that, you know, that, those long term projects or even something as simple as last year we had a community listening project that was the mission vision values. Um, you know, making sure we get some of those long term things done that are going to guide us over the next 10 years. So it's a lot of sort of walking and, you know, chewing bubble gum at the same time because there's just a lot, there's a lot going on, but it's all under this umbrella of how do we move the community forward. And I think that's really important. And thank you for stating that because we need to remember that our elected officials are not, cannot just focus on all of the emergency needs, the emergency uh, requirements of thought and response, but the long, the process of the long-term leading, the long-term managing, the long-term guiding of our city, it has not left your table and it has not left your orbit, so to speak. So we have to make sure that we accept that there's this broader responsibilities that you have and we need to give you the time and the latitude you are a new mayor. We're going to have a new Ward 1 city councilor. People are going to have to come up to speed and learn uh, new personalities, working together, new roles. And we're going to have to let you as well grow into all of these positions and be patient with that. Well, and the check you make at points like this is not necessarily, you know, how fast are you going forward, but are you moving forward, right? Like, are you putting one foot in front of the other? And that's how you build real progress. Very good. Thank you. Now, how do you feel, Mayor, that the investigation slash audit is going from the previous summer social unrest and violence that took place this past summer? Well, I've got no information about what's in the actual report as it exists. Um, as of last Friday, so I do not know if something changed yesterday because I just didn't get a chance to ask. We're still waiting on the report to show up from the outside person. Um, we're, we're literally hitting the the refresh button every single day expecting it to drop. So if you're from a community perspective, um, 
I would say it's going to, from the minute the staff gets it and has to read and respond, make sure it's correct until the public actually sees it, it's still going to be a couple of weeks. Now, one of the things that is, um, that is, that has happened is we have penciled in time, work session time on March 8th to talk about it. Um, you know, again, when it actually shows up, we'll be able to nail down the date. But what I wanted to do was get us, get us to a point that, you know, at least people kind of have a date out there so they can kind of know that it's not, it's not really forgotten about. Um, but we're kind of in a waiting game to see what it is, what it's telling us, and get all the facts. And in fairness to that auditor, he, they received thousands and thousands of emails and phone calls and videos. And I was on some of those meetings. That is a lot of data to process, to put into perspective, to put into timelines. And so for us, the constituents, those that are concerned, those that are following this, uh, this area, we have to definitely give time and latitude for the job to be done correctly. Yes. And the important thing is, I know we talked about it wrapping up on the 31st, right? Like wrapping up and getting to the city is not, you know, there's time between that and when the public sees it. And the goal is to have the public, it's going to be available to the public. Very good. And you said March 31st? Uh, no, it originally, the original schedule was January 31st for it to be oh. done. Okay. Right. So right now we're literally waiting on it to arrive. It's going to be a couple of weeks after that before the council gets a chance to see it. And then, you know, it's going to have work session time associated with it. Oh, very good. Thank you. Now, what now this is a big deal. You know, I was on the budget committee when the, at the time the housing market crashed, and, and I remember all those really difficult, difficult uh, sessions on budget shortfalls and people coming before the commit, budget committee. For those that don't know, the constituents that don't know, community members that come before the budget committee seeking financial support, financial assistance for their endeavors. If you don't know that, that is part of the budgetary process. And so there's going to be a lot of shortfalls. This is the second time now in 20 years the city's had to deal with something significant like this. What are your concerns as our new mayor? What are the any preliminary numbers on what we might be facing? Um, so the you know obviously concerned um, about you know where we are from a financial perspective and concerned about you know that we do face a structural imbalance right when you look in the five year window. Um, from my time in, you know, in a, in, in a Fortune 15 company, well, more than one of them, what I can tell you is most big organizations have an imbalance when you look out four or five years, right? Because they haven't done anything yet. It's more sort of saying, hey, look, if you continue to do things, this is what's going to, like, you know, if you do nothing, this is what's going to happen. So you have to give it, a, it's important, but you have to give it a little bit of context. And the way that city's expenses grow, don't strike me is out of the ordinary compared with any, any other, you know, what you would see as a private sector company of that size. Now, um, it's still like, I have not seen, I've seen like three different numbers. I feel like the number coming into, you know, when it hits the budget committee, right? The, the, the staff is doing really the hard work to make sure it's balanced and come up with some recommendations. I feel like they're talking, you know, we approved 400, maybe $500,000 in cuts a couple of weeks ago. I feel like the number was about a million dollars at that point that we were facing over about a 43, $45 million general fund. So those are general numbers that are sort of off the top of my head just to give you some size and shape of what, you know, 
what what we're sort of working on, they're definitely not going to be exact take them to the bank kind of kind of numbers. Um, so that's going to be tough, right? There's going to be some tough decisions at the budget committee. Um, obviously, if you're interested, we're gonna we are going to be uh, looking for two new budget committee members here shortly. Um, you know, for Ward Three and Ward Four. Um, so definitely get involved if you can. The thing that I would tell people is. The staff do great work, right? The city, the process is the city manager brings us a proposed budget um, that sort of has all the information in it. And the budget committee goes through that and then recommends a budget to the city council. And then the city council finally adopts it. So you really have sort of three layers of checks to make sure we're on the right trajectory, we're focused on the right things. And you really have to sort of trust that the, the staff's going to do all the hard financial work. The budget committee is going to talk about community needs and then we'll end up in the right spot. It's not going to be easy, but we'll end up in the right spot. Well, I appreciate your optimism and uh, I appreciate the observation that the budget grow, the budget, it's not out of the ordinary, the, the way it's growing and cuts things. These are things that happen. And so it's, I think it's important the constituents understand there is a staff at the city of Springfield that manages all the numbers Ward three and Ward four are gonna need a budget committee member. And if you wanna know what's going on with the city budget, this is your time to step up. You learn a lot, it's great service, and you, you'll learn how to work with our, our elected officials and city staff side by side in uh, this area of need. Uh, all right, Mayor, what do you have regarding immediate ideas to uh, speak to or address the unhoused needs here in Springfield? Well, there's a lot of great work that actually happens about, you know, with, with unhoused needs um, in Springfield. So um, sometimes I talk about policy things the city does, and sometimes I'll talk about projects that either I'm passionate about or want to work on. So I'm going to start with a project that I'm passionate about or want to work on. Uh, you know, Catholic Community Services runs G Street Oasis, uh, that is the, you know, um, which is the resource center for unhoused families in Springfield. Um, we have been meeting again to begin to, to set up um, uh, uh, the line towards desserts for dinner. I don't know how to count 2020, so I'm gonna call this desserts for dinner three, which is which will be the fundraiser to support, you know, these efforts around unhoused families in Springfield. Um, if you ask the school district, I feel like, you know, there was probably, you know, there's maybe in the three to 500, depending on how you count it, you know, um, kids that are experiencing somehow some form of housing crisis. So the needs real in our community about you know what sort of unhoused uh, needs there are. So basically, it's a dessert competition um, that we're we're going to kick off in in April, and you know the the public will have a chance to sort of buy dessert boxes from local bakeries with the proceeds going to um, support Catholic Community Services and their uh, their the service center for families. So. The other piece to sort of think about is like where, where we are strategically as a is a um, is a community, right? So there's a lot of good work that the county does through a lot of nonprofits, you know, the Poverty and Homelessness Board, um, a lot of sort of broader collaboration to make sure that people are we're, we're moving people to house, you know, to some sort of housing eventually. Um, so there's not necessarily like. 25 different things the city has to like has to do we have to sort of collaborate with you know what's going on what's going on regionally and i'll give you you know a couple you know a couple really good examples here there's pallet shelters that um that the county has bought right like in you know and 
how supportive can we about using using those alibi shelters, you know, in churches or on a piece of property that is going to help with sort of our immediate needs. That that conversation is going to come up at council in a couple of weeks. Um, but really, it's sort of how do you sort of breathe with the conversation that's happening regionally, and how do you sort of support places that have any part of the mission? Like, you know, there's food services that come out of Ebert, right? Carry it forwards doing a lot of really good work um, and just sort of be flexible so that we're not so centralized, but instead sort of talking left to right across the, you know, uh, across the, um, the whole spectrum of housing. I'll, I'll leave you with this one point. Um, really on house touches public safety, it touches healthcare, it touches, you know, sometimes it's public works, right? You've got a group of community um, nonprofits that support folks. And, you know, the idea of coming back from a case management perspective in a, in a COVID world and not, sometimes they just don't even talk together, right? So you've got all these resources, but like at a regional level, we do a lot. We've got to make sure that that system is moving the problem forward and working across sort of boundaries that, you know, talk about what the real issues are. Well, that's good. I appreciate that uh, painting that regional response uh, mechanism because, it's important that we know that there are lots of moving parts to this uh, mechanism and lots of people are involved. It's not stationary. It's not static. It is vibrant and that uh, we can trust that the hands that need to be at the table are there. Yes. And I would tell you, at least in the short term, well, I guess medium term, we need to find a permanent solution for Egan, right? Uh, you know, uh, for the warming center during the winter. It's something the community's behind, right? But we essentially, we We've had COVID, we've moved it around four or five times, right? Instead of getting it to a place where it's got a home, we know how to execute it so that when we go into the winter, you know, when the weather's a little bit dicey, we can just pull the trigger on it. Oh, very good. That I think that'd be a great asset for our community as a whole. Now, Mayor, what would you, what ideas do you have to continue outreach to different communities within our community of Springfield? The best thing that I've found is you simply go where people are at. Um, you know, um, like I like like I like the networking piece of politics. Um, you know, in elected in elected office, I spend a lot of times in the afternoon talking to different people on the phone, returning phone calls, and just generally sort of touching base about what are people um, what are people's needs, what are they hearing. Um, you know, in a place where we don't have restrictions to travel, right? Like. Really, it's hey, look. If you want to walk down your neighborhood and go, you know, talk to a group of business leaders, you know, or homeowners or any group of people, I'm willing to do that. Like, let's go look at the stop sign or you know the sidewalk or you know, kind of make sure that if you're a group in the city and you want to talk to elected officials, elected officials love to talk to people. Now, I'm not the only one out there that's sort of saying that. School board members, I'm going to sign them up for this too. You know the city council they love talking to people in their in their wards i love it when people stop and want to talk when i'm walking the dog um it brings some fulfillment to me as an elected official um, but it also has that give and take about well what's going on yeah i've been surprised now that i'm on the sub board uh, mayor van gordon how many people have reached out to me with questions about their meters and their water usage and electrical rates and and fiber optics, I, I have been really, really surprised at the amount of weekly messages that I'm receiving. It goes from everything from like, 
permitting problems to handing a stop sign to a band of a pothole, you know, all the way up to there's big community problems. And that's where the joy for um, like working in public services, right? You get to help people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Very good. Now, we ask a lot of our officials, you're our new mayor. What would you like to ask of your constituents of Springfield? I think the best thing would be just keep being you, right? Keep showing up and being part of the conversation. We live in a big, you know, sort of diverse city that is constantly growing. Um, you know, a little, you know, a little bit of patience with the elected bodies, um, you know, uh, as they go through any number of challenges, um, you know, would be, would be helpful. But, you know, keep talking about what's on your hearts and minds. Um, people are listening. Um, it may not you know, it may take us a little while to get there, but like people are, you know, are here to serve you. Let's just keep having the conversation. I think that's important that we offer patience, especially now with so many changes on our elected leadership and all the new challenges, not to ask for too much too quickly. I think that's where a lot of mistakes could happen if, the, if we're not, we have to be reasonable too. If we want, we want our elected officials to be reasonable, we have to be reasonable as your constituents and allow the process, because nothing happens overnight. No. And I would give two pieces of real advice. One of them is, and I picked this up, you know, at a, in, in a corporation, but I thought it was really good advice. Just assume positive intent, right? Like I do it with, um, when I talk to constituents uh, with other elected officials. So it goes like this, like people are doing the best they can with information that they have and are reacting generally in a positive way, right? In a really polarized political environment, uh, you know, I find that helps me bring um, a little bit of, you know, I guess grace to the situation because nobody's out to get anybody, right? People are honestly trying are are honestly trying to figure like figure things out, um, and then just a chance to sort of like people are working hard in the community, right? It, like. And just recognize that we all live in our, you know, in, a, in our own little, um, I don't know if it's an echo chamber or a bubble. I live in an echo chamber, right? This is a pretty big, broad community that goes pretty far left all the way to pretty far right. And because, you know, when your portion of it, like we got to figure out how to get from your, you know, people's portion of it to try to, like what we're trying to do is kind of come up and get, think about where the community needs to go. Um, and so sometimes that gives you a little bit of perspective because we do run, we do run a vast spectrum of experiences and backgrounds and, you know, and that's really cool, but it takes a minute to come and go, okay, now that we've talked about this portion, where does the community need to go? That's important. I appreciate that. <clears throat> we do have to, as constituents, Remember that we do have a lot of different people living in our city. Our neighbors have different views and different, opi different opinions. Our neighborhoods could shift from one, one position to another. And we all have to try to live together and allow whatever ordinance, law, whatever the case is, the state statute, whatever it might look like, uh, give it time to develop into this full encompassing representation. Yes? Mm -hmm. Very good. Now we have many areas for citizens to get involved as registered, if they're registered voters, that is the uh, one area that, that is non-negotiable. Non -negotiable. We have various boards, commissions, <clears throat> different types of task force. 
how important your message to the constituents, how important is it that our community take an active and participative role in these areas, and how does it help our local government be better? Um, it's the most important thing that you can do to get involved. Um, when people are, like, we work as a citizen government, right? So as people are involved, two things happen. You learn a ton, right? And then you help guide guide the group, you know, group and conversation forward. The way that the way that our government's envisioned to work is like if Mark, you and I go down to Plank Town, right? We should people see people who were former city councilors or North, you know, city councilors served on budget committees or you know, volunteered in nonprofits. But we have a civic space that we all need to be working in to to make the community community successful. The most um, interesting pushback that people always get, right? Like, in, and I'm not, you know, there are people who are busy and they have families. I completely understand that. Is well, you've got a highly trained, highly touted staff, right? That are very professional and very talented. Like, what am I going to provide? Well, the thing you provide is you, your experiences, where you live, where you're. Like, don't worry about adding up everything in the in the in the budget manual. I promise you, the finance department's got it covered. Just bring you and bring your experiences and what your neighborhood's important. Um, that's what needs to happen at the conversation. I appreciate that we, you said we work as a citizen government. We, when we get involved, we learn a ton. We help conversations to move forward and that we have a civic space where we can also help our community improve. And I, I, I just wanna affirm that because when I ran for public office in 2005, 2006, whenever it's been so long now, I had a lot of opinions about a lot of stuff, Mayor. And then I started serving in the budget committee and other areas. And what I thought about different subjects radically changed when I had facts, not ideas, but legitimate facts in front of me. And then I was thinking, man, if I would have had this information, you know, a year ago or two years ago, I would have not had the opinion I had then. Now I understand why this is so difficult. Well, great ideas take evolution of sort of timing facts. So I just want to recognize that right, I'm very clearly not saying that like, hey, people have wrong ideas and when you show up, you're going to have, you're, you're going to learn, learn the truth, right? What happens is what you have is an idea get, begins to get evolved between what from hey, it's just an idea to what actually is going to work. And, you know, that crafting process is what the committee gives, gives you. I like that expression, the, the crafting process of the idea. I'm shredding that down. All right. Now, what are your ideas on our housing shortage and affordability issues? Um, some days um, I think this is really easy and some days I think this is really complicated. So the first thing I would tell people is let's do the easy stuff first. This is going to be a long-term thing, right? So to next year, right, when if I when I show up and say we're, we're still going to have a housing shortage, right? Like it just takes a long time to build physical doors. And the easy part really is to understand what we're trying to solve for is homes, right? Like that's at its basic root cause, right? What we need is more homes. Um, the hard part is becomes like, well, how do you actually, how do you actually do it? You know, there's a pretty big development going in Mark Marcola Meadows. Um, we've added more housing units the last couple of years, you know, than we have in any time that I've been on council. Um, so we're adding total net units, right? So I'll give you two sort of stories about where it's it's helped 
um, from a public policy perspective. I sit on something called the Home Consortium, um, and that's really gives out you know HUD dollars to build more affordable housing units. So while one of the one of the things that we have done on the Home Consortium, and this was back when Christine and I were there, is we like Springfield became a big advocate for don't just buy and renovate things, buy things you can add units to, right? Because until we add doors, it's not healthy, right? Um, so that's that's been pretty like that change has really helped us a ton to try to get focused on new physical doors. And I want to commend like the Homes for Good um, folks because there's a development that they have that's behind Fred Myers on Fifth and Q Street. Um, it took a, look, a little bit of back and forth again, right? Like having craft ideas. But originally we weren't going to net out new units there. And when they really heard what our priorities were as a community. Right, they came back with a plan, and they, you know, and we figured out how to make it happen. They not only built the units they needed to replace because they had units they, that works they needed to decommission, but actually added units. Right, so, you know, people are making as much progress as they can. Um, we need more units. We need shovels in the ground. That's why council has done that. That working around eight years, we have we've been got a pretty open policy on housing um, to let you build different housing different ways or different types of housing. Um, and then we've been like, if you really ask municipalities, Springfield's really at the cutting edge of, about like what is view on housing is, right? So that if you have property, you own property, you're gonna be, you should be allowed to build housing on it. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate that. I think that um, we have to remember there are codes, there's other things. Uh, City of Springfield has been addressing this now for several years. They've not been sitting idly by. Uh, our city government has been proactive. Uh, is that does that fall under the planning commission? Um, it's a standalone um, sort of right. It, it's a standalone committee that does the physical code work. So it's people who develop, and then it is how you make it into law goes through the planning commission. Oh, okay, very good. Now, what is our our urban growth boundary looking like how much available do you know how much available land we have at this time are we in a position as you are our government city government uh, tied with the county or otherwise talk about expansion of our urban growth boundary i think we're, we're going to have to look at that for residential land in the next couple of years um i don't know the timing that conversation is had a few years ago we added probably 300 acres uh you know uh, for commercial land but none of the pre-planning or infrastructure work is sort of out there. So to give you perspective on how long these conversations take, um, what when I got on planning commission in 2008, the conversation about commercial land was a, was a year old at that point, right? So these are really long-term conversations. Um, I feel like when you look at the housing conversation, we got at least sort of kind of pull up from the meat and potatoes and like look at, you know, and look, in that 20 year segment and go, okay, do we physically have enough land to house everybody? I don't know the answer to that question, but I think given the housing shortage, it's it's time that, you know, it's worthwhile to, to do that. For those that will hear this, Mayor, and don't understand the question that I just asked you, I'd like to, the constituents to hear from you. What is our urban growth boundary? and What the heck is that? And how does it affect how or where we build? <laughs> sure. Um, I'm going to try to earn my planning commission merit badge for the day. So if the planning department's taking notes, you know, and calling me afterwards. Um, in Oregon, we have a pretty tight 
planning wants. So what you've got in the city is you've got what you think of as the city limits, right? So that's the jurisdiction of Springfield, the you know, Springfield city government goes over. And then there is a growth boundary where the city is allowed to expand to, it's called the urban growth boundary. And it goes around. So it's like an urbanizable fringe around the city. So it that's the place when you drive around and it looks like you're kind of going out of the city, but you don't quite see cows yet. Um, so it's got some infrastructure, some county roads, some homes that sit out there. Ideally, what you would look at is that that would meet the city's natural growth patterns from a planning perspective over the next 20 years. If everything went to plan, you would kind of grow into those, grow and develop into those areas. And then you would plant, then you would say, okay, I've got to have another 20 years supply of land, right? So the way the law is written, and it's a little bit, um, you can take different views on it. It's the city is constantly saying, hey, I've got enough space planned out so that I have 20 years of land out there that I'm kind of talking about where the city is going to grow into. That's what the urban growth boundary is. And why is it important for us to have 20 years of land? Well, that, you know, you're like, take the, take the gateway area, right? That's the 200 acres we just brought into right now. It's essentially farmland right now, right? Like in, you know, so you've got to plan infrastructure, you've got to plan transportation, you've got to put sewers out there, you've got to zone it, like there's a ton of work that's going to happen. And the reality is like, we don't control the market, right? At some day, somebody owns that land and is going to decide what and how it gets developed. Now we can incentivize the market, but you know there's a there's a private developer in market like in a market out there that is going to decide finally you know that they can pencil out and develop that piece of property. Thank you. I, I didn't mean to put to give you a, such a, a test, but I just want the constituents to hear from you uh, some of these other broader questions that. I don't think we always take the time to consider the long term, why we have to have land, the developmental process. It just We can't tell our, our, our city government, hey, we go put a hotel up over there. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Not in Oregon. Yeah. And so what about, on a side note, what about Glenwood, uh, Mayor Van Gordon? What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, What's our potential out there? What is some of the ideas floating around about what might be feasible? Um. I think there's a lot that's feasible, right? Like, and I think you've got um, the city through the Economic Development Board has done a lot to incentivize um, SDCs. Um, we put in those new roundabouts a couple of years ago. We were just talking about three hotels. You've got a bakery out there that is de essentially doubled in size, you know, and you've got, you know, a, a corporate HQ that's been out there. So. Progress feels slow, but I think if you looked at a picture of Glenwood in 2005 and you looked at a picture right now, you would see a noticeable difference, right? So um, the, the city's gotten a lot of, uh, like a lot, accumulated a lot of available land out there, right? So that we're sort of solving some of the other problems. But again, it's, we're, we're gonna get there. It's gonna be probably slower than what people like, but once it once it sort of pops, right? Like I always look for that Plank Town moment, right? When we when Plank Town went in, really the downtown started to cruise. So I think you know the economic development uh, agency is gonna be a key player out there. Um, we're gonna do the work to get kind of going in the right direction, but I think it's important to acknowledge how far we have to go, but also the fact that we've done it like we've done a ton 
and it's also paid off in, in new construction in, in Glenwood. I remember when, <clears throat> excuse me, when Sid Lichen was mayor and I asked him one time, it's been about 16, 17 years now, about some of the decisions they were making, how do they come to their conclusions? And he said to me, the decisions we're able to make now is because of the leaders that came before us. They put us in, in a great position to make good decisions. And so we're making decisions now that future councils and mayors, they're gonna improve upon 20 years from now or have the ability to approve upon because of the leaders that came before us and the leaders that came before them. And we're in this continuation stream of good uh, stewardship. So I liked, I appreciated his response, and that's really what's taking place now. Yes, and that, and that that's that's a good way to think about it. Very good. What commitments would you like to make your to your constituents that will hear and see this? From what can we expect from you? What is your commitment to us? Well, I, I think the best thing I can tell people is that um, is that my commitment is to be here for you guys, right? Like no matter what, you know, um, I think that's a, a trait that, you know, Christine sort of demonstrated so well. And a lot of the, a lot of the past mayors and councilors have is like, you know, is that just fight for this community, right? And I don't mean, but I mean, just, you know, advocate and put your time and energy to making the community successful. Um, that's, that's really what I'm committing to is, you know, we need to make this community someplace that is sort of special, that's distinct in the region and in the world so that people go, okay, I want to raise my family here. I want to be part of this community. <clears throat> I, I really appreciate that, <clears throat> Mayor Van Gordon. If we will all just stop when we're feeling like we're on opposite sides of issues and just remember that we really are coming from a place where we want our community to be peaceful, affordable, livable, safe, and and have something to look forward to in the future. If we can come back to what you just said about your commitment to us to advocate, you're gonna be here for us, and that you're gonna advocate for our community that we all have that place that we are advocating for our community. It might sound and look a little bit different, but to come back to that place of let's advocate the details out together. We've got to do it together. Um, and that's one of the things that I think good public policy happens is sometimes like as elected officials, I've had conversations in 10 years where it took me a minute to get it. And I went, oh, okay, this is what you're talking about. Um, that's just good listening skills. Yes, very good. Mayor Van Gordon, what would you like to say to your wife and your daughters for their support and confidence in you these years, your commitment? You, make, you guys make a lot of sacrifices. You're not paid. You're volunteers. There is no uh, compensation designed within the city charter for our elected officials to be paid. What would you like to say to your family? Well, well, I say it to them every night, right, that I'm thankful that they're here and the patience that it takes to go through this. Um, you know, as somebody that's, I've got a full-time job outside of this, you know, I do this sort of as my hobby slash second job, whatever way you want to think about it. So it does, like, it, you know, it does impact my life. Um, but my my wife and daughters have always been patient. You know, they've been understanding if, you know, if I have to sort of step away and you know, some, something that I have to respond to. And then my, my part of the bargain is that, you know, that there's, is to be conscientious about not everything's a fire right now, right? Like is to make sure that I make them make time in the week consciously for them 
where it's, you know, I'm stepping away from my work. I'm stepping away from, you know, this great, you know, elected journey on honor that I've been in and just being there. Um, so I couldn't do it without them. Um, they make a huge sacrifice in this as well. Well, I appreciate that. I I, um, I know it's hard. I know it's demanding. I know that you all of you do sacrifice a great deal. There's no question you have sacrificed your privacy. You sacrifice uh, energy. You sacrifice sleep. And then in this just this last year alone in 2020, all the things we've confronted, wildfires, the holiday farm fire, excuse me, and, and um, wildfires and the pandemic and the economic shutdown, and all the other things we've had to face uh, together at the head of all of that and the, the ones that carry ultimate responsibility for providing answers for all of that is all of you. Yeah, well, it, but it dictates how you show up, right? Like the, the, you know, the community shows up in different, like in different ways and finds the thing they, they can help, right? Like, so um, there's, a, there, there's a CEO at, uh, at United Health Group that you know I have a great deal of respect for, and one of the things he always said is just be, show up and be willing to do the work, right? Like that's what at the end of the day, that's really what what moves moves mountains is like show up and say how can I help. Any final thoughts on leadership to your constituents about how we can serve and lead with all of you? and with you as our new mayor? Oh man, um, I think thoughts on leadership are are really, are always really profound, right? And right, like I, I think a lot about, I think a lot about trust, right? Like, because in if we build a high trust community between, um, you know, homes, businesses, uh, government, then, you know, the sort of administrative apparatus, the, the amount of time you spend you know, um, having to sort of explain and keep people on the same page goes down. Um, so, you know, somebody once called it a trust tax, right? Like if we don't fundamentally trust each other, that we have each other's best interest in mind, um, that we're working together, then you kind of have to go, you know, that it, that it becomes much harder to work as a community. Um, so if you, if you think about things that are compromising, it's really just trying to build high trust between, you know, Team Springfield partners, elected officials that I work with, and you know these constituents, so that you know when I'm saying I'm going to get back to you, I get back to you, right? Like, and that's going to be that's going to pay off long term. Now, I'm, I'm sure my opinions about leadership in general—that's a whole other conversation that could go on for an hour and a half. Very good. Well, you're also modeling a great leadership uh, example for people to take into consideration. So sometimes it's not about your words, but it's about action. And it's, there's no doubt that you're willing to show up to do to do the work and that I appreciate your comments about the emphasis of building a high trust community. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had with us today the new mayor of Springfield, Oregon, Sean Van Gordon. Mayor, thank you for your time. Thank you for your willingness to uh, speak with me today as we distribute this to the constituents of Springfield. I personally want to thank your wife and your, your young daughters for their willing to, willingness to sacrifice time and energy to sacrifice you uh, for all of us. Uh, we need to remember that there are people in your lives as our elected officials that also make great sacrifices and they deserve our honor and our respect as well. And I sincerely mean that because I know it's a lot. 
So th thank you to her. Thank you to them. Thank you to you uh, for being willing to stand into the st step in the gap and stand up to uh, all the demands that are being asked of you now. And we, we wish you the best, uh, Mayor Van Gordon. We wish our council the best with uh, the new Ward 3 City Councilor, Corey, Van Ro uh, Corey Rodley, the new Ward 1 Councilor selection that has to be made. We know that there's a lot of work ahead of us, but I believe the best is yet to come because we've been producing great results as, as a city and we've been doing this together. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for your time, sir. You have a good day. We'll look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you, Mark. Yes, sir. Bye-bye.